Uh, well, friends, uh, like many of you, my inbox gets flooded with all sorts of emails these days. But uh, every now and then, I get an email that catches my eye. Uh, this one comes from a Christian organization, and it tells the remarkable story of the last Japanese soldier to surrender in World War II. His name was Lieutenant Hiru Anada. Uh, you may have heard of him. Uh, apparently, Anada was parachuted into the jungles of the Philippines with four other soldiers during World War II. Uh, his orders were to carry on the mission by fighting against the local people. However, as time passed, uh, the other four that were dropped into the jungle with him all fell away. They either died or surrendered to the locals, and Anada was left to fight the battle alone. The astonishing thing about this story, however, is that Onada kept on fighting even after Japan surrendered the war and the Allies were making offers of peace. He ignored messages from loudspeakers announcing Japan's surrender. Leaflets were dropped from a plane into the jungle trying to uh, get him to read it so that he would know that Japan had surrendered. Almost half a million dollars was spent in trying to capture him from the jungle, but he refused to believe or surrender. In fact, he kept on fighting for a staggeringly long period of time, 29 years. It was only in 1974 that he emerged from the jungle at the command of one of his superior officers, and as he emerged, he sheepishly handed his sword over to the then president of the Philippines, and he acknowledged that the war was finally over. And friends, at the bottom of this email, it said this. It said, like Anada, many people are fighting a lonely battle against God, who is offering reconciliation and peace. Like Anada, many people are fighting a lonely battle against the God, who is offering reconciliation and peace. Uh, well, this morning we're looking at a passage uh, in the Bible from a letter called Romans. Uh, it's a letter written by one of Jesus' followers called Paul. It's written to Christians in the city of Rome uh, around about the middle of the first century. And it's a letter that is really all about the God who is offering reconciliation and peace. And you can see it there towards the end of our passage, can't you? If you have a look at uh, uh, Romans 5, uh, verse 10 speaks about being reconciled to God. Verse 11 speaks about uh, having received reconciliation. But it's not just that the word reconciliation is used in this passage. For the theme of reconciliation itself goes right through this part of the letter. And this morning I want to ask uh, you and me this question. Are you and I people who know this reconciliation that God speaks about? Have you personally been reconciled to the God who offers you reconciliation and peace? Uh, well... Uh, if you turn uh, to the passage that we're looking at once again, 
you notice there that Paul begins uh, this part of the letter not with the word reconciliation, but another phrase that speaks about a similar idea. Uh, It's a phrase, justified by faith. Justified by faith. Uh, You'll see it there in verse 1, where Paul says that the Christians in Rome have been justified by faith. Uh, What does it mean to be uh, justified? Well, uh, when we use the word justified, we usually mean that uh, our action has been shown to be the right one. Is that right? So, uh, I am justified in not bringing an umbrella today to church because it's such lovely weather that God has given us. Uh, But that's not what Paul means uh, in this passage. For to be justified means God declaring a person to be in a right relationship with him. It is God giving the verdict of not guilty over a person's life even before the great day of judgment when God will return to judge the world in righteousness and in truth, when God himself will return to judge every secret of the hearts of men. Notice that this justification comes by faith. That is, a person does not enter into a right relationship with God simply by doing more good works, for example, or by doing more religious rituals. No, God declares a person to be right with him when that person begins to put their trust or their faith in God's word and to live in obedience to him. And so, Paul says that these Christians in Rome have been justified by faith. But what are the benefits of being justified by faith? What are the benefits that flow out of being in a right relationship with God? Well, you can see there that Paul spells out three things. Firstly, the Roman Christians have peace with God peace with God. You can see it there in verse 1. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Now, friends, I don't think Paul here is speaking about, uh, you know, having fuzzy feelings of peace towards God. Uh, It's great that it's great if you do, but it is possible, isn't it, to have feelings of peace towards another person and perhaps even to God and still be estranged from that person. No, what Paul here is talking about is actual peace. When a person is justified uh, by faith, then God ceases to be angry with that person and that person has ceased in their rebellion against God. It is actual peace peace that Paul is talking about here. But secondly, those who have been justified by faith also enjoy, notice, access into God's grace. And you can see that in verse 2. Verse 2, through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Uh, The word grace just means a gift 
that is undeserved, those who have been justified by faith can have this ongoing access to a God who promises to be generous and kind and giving, even if we don't deserve it, both now and forever. Uh, You know, friends, uh, when I finished university, um, I got my first job as a tax consultant uh, in a large firm in the city. Uh, It was very exciting. But uh, do you know the even more exciting thing about that day? It was when I got my little plastic access card uh, (laughs) that let me into the building. You know, Uh, it was even on one of those dangly chain things. And uh, I could just swipe it and go in. No one else had access, but I could come and go as I pleased. Uh, When I am justified by faith, uh, I have this kind of free access to the God who loves me and promises to to shower his grace and kindness and goodness in my life. I can approach him day and night knowing that I will never be turned away. But finally, notice that those who have been justified by faith enjoy great hope. Again, you can see it there at the end of verse 2 where Paul says, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Uh, The word rejoice there uh, actually means to boast in the original language of of the Bible. Christians are people who can boast, not in ourselves, but in the God who has rescued us and who gives us the certain hope of glory. One day, God will transform our weak and sinful and dying bodies into the glorious image of his Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And those who have been justified by faith will dwell with him in glory, forever. Now, friends, I just want you to see here that Paul speaks so confidently of what he has because he knows that he is justified by faith along with the Romans. Paul says to the Roman Christians, we have peace with God. Not we might have, but we have We have access by faith into this grace. We rejoice in the certain hope of the glory of God. When you know that God has declared you not guilty and justified you ahead of the great day of judgment, when he will judge the world in righteousness and in truth, well, you can have this kind of confidence, says Paul. Uh, You know, it's a bit like uh, how I watch sport these days. Uh, You know, I only watch football, for example, when I get up in the morning and I read that my team has won. That doesn't happen very often these days, I'm afraid. But it's only then that I switch on the TV and I watch the match. And uh, uh, let me tell you, it's such a terrific way of watching the game because I know the outcome. Uh, I can relax. I can be confident. Uh, Even if my team gets into difficulty during the game, well, I don't stress, because I know how it's going to turn out, you see. Uh, You see, being justified by faith is a little bit like that. 
The person who is justified has been given a future outcome in the here and now. Rather than anxiously waiting for the outcome on that day of judgment when God will peer into our hearts and judge us by uh, judge the world in righteousness and in truth, well, he gives me the verdict, not guilty, now, so that I can be confident that I am in a right relationship with him. Friends, do you have this kind of confidence about your relationship with God? Do you and I know this peace of God that Paul is speaking about here? Are you sure of your access to God? Do you have a certain hope of the glory to come? Uh, Now, friends, uh, we've seen Paul explaining to the Roman Christians about the things they can be certain of uh, by being justified by faith. However, notice that he goes on to explain that those who are justified by faith can have a completely new outlook on suffering. A completely new outlook on suffering. The astonishing thing here is that Paul says that Christians can even boast and rejoice in suffering because we see that suffering strengthens us and gives us an even greater hope of glory. You can see it there in verse 3. Have a look with me at verse 3. It says there, And not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, And character produces hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. Notice that Christians are not people who rejoice of their suffering. In other words, we are not masochists who enjoy suffering and boast about it to others. No, we are the ones who can rejoice even in suffering and during suffering. Because we know that God uses suffering to make us stronger. Uh, you may have heard the saying that uh, Christians are like tea bags. Uh, you don't know how strong they will be until you put them in hot water. Uh, it's a little bit like what Paul is saying here. You see, it is in suffering that you and I learn endurance and perseverance and stickability in our faith. Not giving up and walking away from God, but continuing to live by his word, even though the circumstances might be difficult. Further, it is as we do this that God grows our Christian character. For it is particularly during times of suffering, isn't it, that we learn things like patience and self-control and what it, mean, what it looks like to be dependent on God. And further, it is as we grow in our Christian character that we grow in our hope of heaven. As God's spirit comes into our hearts and tells us of God's love for us and that he will guide us to glory. Now, suffering has a way of reminding us that this world is not all there is but there most certainly is a world to come. 
this week uh, I read some words penned by the outspoken atheist Christopher Hitchens. Uh, It was written during his battle with cancer. Uh, He died in 2011. Uh, Listen to the hopelessness um, of, of the tone of his writing as he writes. He says, I am badly oppressed by a gnawing sense of waste. I had real plans for my next decade and felt I'd worked hard enough to earn it. Will I really not live to see my children married? To watch the World Trade Center rise again? To the dumb question, why me? The cosmos barely bothers to return the reply, why not? Friends, then I listened to the words of 15-year-old Nathan Barry. Uh, Nathan is the son of an Anglican minister uh, in Janali. Uh, some of you might know that uh, Nathan died earlier this year from cancer. And uh, listen to what he writes before his death. He says, earlier this year, I was told that I was probably going to die. Hearing this news shocked me. And I started to really think and worry about death and what it means and what's next. I remember after hearing this news, me and my parents just bowed down and prayed, giving all our worries and thoughts to God. After this, we opened up God's word. We read Isaiah chapter 40, which says, Even youths grow tired and weary, but those who trust in the Lord prevail, and he will renew their strength. And Nathan writes, I just felt refreshed and amazed that even when we go through hard times, if we trust in God, we will spend eternal life in heaven with Jesus, and we won't have these problems and hard times, for it will be perfect. Friends, how do you and I respond Uh, to suffering in our life. Uh, Some of us may be going through a period of suffering at the moment. Uh, It could be persecution from uh, uh, others because of your faith in Jesus. It could be due to sickness. It could be some tragedy uh, in your family. But whatever it might be, uh, will you rejoice in the midst of suffering? God is in control of your life and he promises to use even your suffering and hardship to grow your faith and godliness of character and the hope of heaven itself. Suffering does not mean that we have an unloving God. Suffering is the means by which God grows our hope of heaven as God reminds us of his love for us through the Spirit. Now, friends, uh, we've just seen uh, that through suffering, God grows our hope uh, of the world to come through the Holy Spirit who pours God's love into our hearts. Uh, But I want you to notice that in the final part of our passage this morning, Paul expands on this love of God by saying two things. Uh, Firstly, notice that he says 
that the love of God is most clearly displayed in the death of Jesus on the cross. The love of God is most clearly displayed in the death of Jesus on the cross. You can see it there in verse 6. Verse 6. For while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, friends, dying for someone else is the epitome of human love, isn't it? Uh, But generally, if we are to die for somebody else, it will usually be for somebody pretty special in our eyes. Is that true? I mean, uh, if somebody burst into this room uh, carrying a gun... Uh, and uh, don't panic, uh, no one's doing that, it's just an illustration. But if somebody burst into this room carrying a gun, uh, I'm sorry, but I'm not going to take the bullet for you. Uh, I'm sure uh, you're a decent person, but it's just not going to happen. And uh, before you judge me, uh, I know that you wouldn't do it for me either. (laughs) Is that true? However, I think I would do it for my wife. Uh, I think I would probably do it for my children as well. There are people I would probably die for, but not very many. You see, that's what Paul is saying in verse 7, isn't it? For one will scarcely die for a righteous person somebody who does uh, good things according to God's law, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. A good person being somebody that uh, you have uh, a particular tie to. But you see, here's the point. God's love is not like human love. For when he sends his own son to die, well, he doesn't just do it for his friends. He He doesn't do it for the good people of this world. No, he does it for his enemies. And Paul says that it is while we were still sinners that Christ died for us. You see, friends, we are all sinners by nature. We have all rejected God. We have rebelled against him in our lives. We've ignored him, which is what sin is. Some people do it by openly raging against God. But I'm guessing that most of us do it simply by ignoring God and ignoring his word and just carrying on with life as though God were not there and God does not matter in the way that we live and in the way that we make decisions, even though he is the one who has given us the very breath of life itself. You see, we are the ones who politely tell God to go away because I am perfectly capable of running my life my own way without you. We deserve nothing but condemnation from God. And yet, on that old wooden cross, 
2,000 years ago, we see the astonishing love of God as he sends his precious only son to die for us. And on that cross, Jesus takes the punishment for my sin, the punishment that I deserved, as he stands in my place and faces the wrath of God with cruel nails driven through his hands and his feet so that those who put their faith and trust in him can be forgiven and can be reconciled to God and given the hope of eternal life. Friends, can you imagine a love that is greater than the the one that we see on the cross? But secondly, what Paul says is that if God has gone to the length of spilling the blood of his very own son to reconcile you and me to himself, then surely on the last day he will save us from his wrath and anger as he judges the world. You can see it there in verse 9. Verse 9, Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. In other words, this is an argument that says, if God has done that most difficult thing of giving up his son, then surely he will do the easier thing. If God has done that most agonizingly difficult thing of sending his very own son to die for you and me, then surely for those who put their trust in him, he will do the easier thing on the last day in saving us from his judgment. Friends, how do you know that God loves you? Perhaps you are here this morning and you are going through difficult circumstances in your life and you are doubting God's love for you. Or perhaps you are here this morning and you do not feel particularly spiritual and you are doubting whether God loves you. Or perhaps you are here this morning and you are weighed down with sin and feelings of guilt and you know that you fall to the same sin in your life again and again and again and you are doubting God's love for you. Whatever it might be, uh, God's word to us this morning is to fix our eyes on the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ and to see the love of God for us there. And if he can do the agonizingly difficult thing of giving up his very own son for you and me, then surely he will carry us home and save us on the last day. But uh, for some of us here, uh, we may have come along this morning and we know that we are not reconciled to God yet. Uh, That might be true for some of us. Uh, Perhaps you've been rejecting God in your life and uh, living in ignorance of God, uh, not really caring about whether he is there or not. Well, if that is you, then God's invitation to you 
is exactly the same. Come to the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ and see the love of God for you there. It is at the cross that God's own Son died for your sins. It is at the cross that God makes his offer of reconciliation to you. But there will be no reconciliation unless it is on God's own terms. So will you come to the Lord Jesus Christ, come to the cross of Christ, put your faith and your trust in his death that has paid for your sin, and will you be reconciled to God and follow this Jesus who has died for you? It's strange that anyone would celebrate the death of a man, isn't it? But the death of Jesus is worth celebrating, for it is at the cross that God in his love reconciles sinful people like you and me to himself. And it is why today is called Good Friday.